I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Meine Arbeit! Für Richtigkeits, ob du glaubst, dass ich fleißig gewesen bin, dass ich gearbeitet habe, dass ich mich in diesen Jahren für dich eingesetzt habe, dass ich anständig meine Zeit verwendet habe im Dienste meines Volkes. Gib du jetzt deine Stimme ab. Wenn ja, dann tritt für mich ein, so wie ich für dich eingesetzt bin. Her name was Susie, apparently. She had no idea. She really couldn't remember anything. A man kept calling her out of the darkness. Come on, Susie, don't go to sleep now. And how about we have a nice cuppa when we get out of here, eh, Susie? She was choking on ash and dust. She sensed something inside her was torn beyond repair. Cracked. The man was holding her hand, squeezing it. Come on, Susie, stay awake now. But she couldn't. The soft dark was beckoning to her with the promise of sleep. Endless sleep. And the snow began to fall gently until she was entirely shrouded and everything was dark. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific at uh, dates and locations in well-known books. This is part two of our adventure based on the book Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, presented by me, Tim Wright, and you, Lloyd Shepherd, <laughs> You forgot my name for a moment there. Yeah. We've been to Buckinghamshire. We've investigated uh, all the locations of Buckinghamshire. We've had some interesting conversations about trains yep. and well, facts yes, and stuff that might not be true. And now we're in London. We are. So what you've just heard in the reading is one of the many deaths of Ursula Todd. Yeah, in Argyle Road. She, she you can't have the Henry James reference. Yes, I did. Is that just because you, you were annoyed by it? Well, as with most Henry James references, it was all a bit too long. <laughs> Ursula's living in Argyle Road in a flat, and uh, she gets bombed repeatedly. She, I think she it. dies about three or four times actually, in Argyle I actually, Road. I actually listed them out, Tim. Ooh, did you now? I actually listed them, the, all her deaths in the different places. And in Argyle Road... Come on. She dies one, two, three... Three times. Three times. Three times. Uh, and then she visits again as a warden and nearly dies when a wall collapses, but doesn't. I see. So well, we should remind the listener that the book is about Ursula Todd having this weird facility to die and then be reborn at exactly the same date again in 1910 and have another go at life. And basically. crucially, be able to vaguely remember her previous attempts. Yes, yeah, so, so she, she can avoid... make different decisions. Exactly. So she makes different decisions that lead to her not dying at certain times or dying again at the same time, yeah. but by different means. And for there to be different outcomes for other characters in the book. And the book started, and Kate Eckerson says this, as a what if, I, what if we killed Hitler thought experiment. And then yes. it became much more than that. Well, we're going, she does have one life where she lives in Germany, doesn't yep. she? And she dies in Berlin. Yeah. So we're going to have to talk about, we'll talk about the, we're going to have to talk about Hitler the, the, and uh, killing Hitler. The League of Young German Women. Uh, we're also going to spend some time in London, uh, in Kensington. Yes. Uh, and in the West End of London. Hooray. We always seem to end up in Soho when it's we're odd in London, that, don't we? It? It's odd how we end up in Soho. Yes, but Although this s- time you took me to a car park. It wasn't that the most exciting location. Um, it was more about what was there than the what's there now. Uh, where are we going first? <laughs> we're going to go to Holland House, or the remains of the Holland remains House. Of so we're essentially in Holland Park. In West London. Which is super posh. Super posh. Only a few weeks ago... 
they had watched together spellbound in horror as Holland House burnt. They had been in Melbury Road raiding the wine cellar. Why not stay in my house, Izzy had said casually before she embarked for America. You can be my caretaker. You'll be safe here. I can't imagine the Germans will want to bomb Holland Park. <laughs> yeah. They do feel very safe and secure around here, don't they? they Everybody do. looks quite safe and secure around here. You're speaking, Even now. You're doing that over the noise of the dog walkers of Kensington. Massive dogs. They They've have enormous huge dogs. dogs in Kensington. It's very status symbol, isn't it? I guess it must be, yeah. We are sitting on the steps of the remains of Holland House. The last vestiges. A rather grand uh, gateway entrance behind us. To the open air theatre. To Holland, Ho- Holland Park Opera. Yes, you can come and watch. And we're looking down, down the hill towards Kensington High Street. You just see the Design Museum in front of us. And that obviously used to be all part of the Commonwealth Institute. It did, there, yeah. Didn't it, when, we were, when we were young. So the reason true. we've come here, apart from the fact that Ursula and Ralph go to watch Holland, Park, Holland House burning... Ralph's one of her boyfriends in one of her lives, right? ...is that actually uh, huge parts of the book take place in quite a small area in and around Kensington. It's, once you come here and you walk up from um, High Street Ken Tube, you realise that nearly all the addresses... Yes, there's Argyle Road. Yeah. That goes off Kensington High Street. Argyle Road, she lives there for a while, doesn't she? Fillimore Gardens, where she lives with Millie for a while, is it parallel to Argyle Road? Yes. And Melbury Road, just where um, Izzy lives and where the wine cellar is, mm-hmm. is just, just, just behind there uh, alongside Holland Park, right? That's right, and they talk about Essex Villas being bombed as well, and, um, which is just there as well. It's just one little square really, route, isn't it? And Essex Villas was bombed. Yes, it was. But the house that she's living on in Argyle Road is the house she dies in. That um, is mentioned in bombs, your bomb site. Argyle Road is not Is it not? No. Oh, Essex okay. Villas is. I can't find a bomb on Argyle Road. Mm. Um, but she does actually say in the author's note, the quite punchy author's note, that we'll probably be referring to quite a lot, mm. that she, she doesn't know whether or not a bomb did fall on Argyle Road. There you go. The obvious question for me is, why here? Yeah. Why has a woman from York, Kate Atkinson, yes. set such a large part of her b- book in and around this part of Kensington? Very, very small part. Yeah. It's just like one, as I say, it's like one square, really. I mean, it may be that there's Not no good square. reason for it. <laughs> she, just, she just likes Kensington. Well, I've got a couple of, I've got a couple of things. Uh, one is the fact that she mentions Holland House burning, which yeah, is a very specific that's very central, date. isn't it? That allows for that to anchor a lot of what's yeah. going on. We should say that Holland House was bombed, quite severely damaged, in 1940. Yeah. If you go onto YouTube, you can see some Pathé News footage of it, the aftermath of its damage. Oh, really? Yeah, you can see oh, it all wow, bombed okay. down. Yeah, so You're going to be sharing that with our Patreon subscribers, Yeah, too. and nobody else. <laughs> so if you don't pay up two quid, you can't see it. You don't pay it. your two pound a month. Unless, of course... You're not getting a link. Unless, of course, you just go to YouTube and search Holland shh, House shh, Burning. Shh, hush, hush. <laughs> Are you telling me that YouTube's an open site? You don't have to subscribe to our Patreon to use it. By all reports, this Holland House, it, was a, it was, goes back to... It's a Tudor... Yes, it's very... You can see the yeah. remains of the it's walls. Really, it's really, really old. It's, it's, uh, By all reports of all the things I've read about it, everybody came who came here thought it was amazing, but also thought it's really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. Oh, we've got a bit of dog fight. Yeah, that's good. The one small dog that's turned up has decided to <laughs> wind everyone up. That's good. <laughs> now, there's one reason why she might have set the thing in, uh, in, in and around Kensington rather than, say, somewhere else. Yeah. Um, Ursula works in the... Air Raid Precautions Department. Yes. The London base for that was in South Kensington. Oh, not far. It was in a bunker that was specially built next to the Geographical Museum. Uh, Which is now? Uh, It's now an extension to the Natural History Museum. So when they were they, when they were extending the Natural History Museum, I think in the 70s, maybe the 80s, they were going to knock it down, this bunker, but the walls were so thick that they couldn't knock it down is it still there so they had to incorporate it into the fabric of the natural history natural history museum and the paleontology department is it, currently inside the bunker that Ursula works so in so if, if the queen hadn't died and all these museums were shut well I'm not sure I think it's in like the back offices rather than the oh, public so areas so you have to know I'm, someone uh, there so you could w- obviously walk to work 
from, from there, from, from here. Argyle Road. So yeah. Fillimore Gardens, I mainly associate with Bill Wyman. Why? His restaurant, Sticky Fingers. Ugh. I know. I bet he. I bet he wished. I bet lots of people wish he hadn't named that now. Yeah. Was at the end of Fillimore Gardens. Was it now? And I think he might have lived on Fillimore Gardens. Bill Wyman. Bill Wyman. So yeah. that's why Kate Atkinson would uh, set it there because she's a big Bill Wyman fan. I don't think she's a big Bill Wyman. She fan. loves um, she's a and rock star. And uh, I mean, J.K. Rowling lives around here, doesn't she? Does she? She's now? got a big house around here. Well, now we're getting onto literary things. Here's here's a thing for you. G.K. Chesterton was born down there. Oh, was he? Yeah, and do you know where he then ended up and died? Same place? No, with Beaconsfield. Oh. He moved to Beaconsfield in 1909. So you're thinking the whole thing might well, be the a whole thing is reference. It, well, it's, I, I bet she doesn't know that, Kate Agnes. I'm betting oh, it. But she does. That she's basically tracing from the birthplace to the death place of G.K. Chesterton. The whole okay. novel is a, a, like is a Chesterton homage. <laughs> if we work out the days, they're all going to be Thursdays. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Yeah, have you, noticed how, have you noticed how many times the words father and brown are used yeah. in it? <laughs> <laughs> nope. The smallest grouping within the BDM movement is the work group, comprised of 10 to 50 girls. It is led by a trained specialist, for example, a lecturer or music teacher. So we're concentrating on London locations because... Frankly, that's quite easy for us. <laughs> it's because it's where we live. But there is a section in this book where she has a life where she marries a, a German. She does become quite a, German a senior lawyer. German Nazi. Yeah. And that's what then gives her access to Hitler. Yes. Through a friendship with Ava Braun. Ava's also obviously connected to, or rather her friend is obviously connected to the BDM. The BDM. The yes. Bund Deutsche Mädel. Yes, that's right. So basically, when she studies foreign languages in that life, doesn't she? And she then does go and do some kind of exchange trip or language trip yep. to stay with her family in Munich, is it? I think it's Munich, yeah. Their daughters are members of the BDM, so she goes on. Which at that point, I think we're talking in the early, early 30s. Early 30s. It wasn't actually a very popular organisation until the Nazis banned every other organisation. They banned it. It was only that and the Hitler Youth were the only youth organisations allowed after 1933, I think. Yeah. I notice on the Wikipedia entry that they encouraged rebellion against parents. That was they one did. Thing. Yeah, reporting on parents and stuff. Snitching on parents if they did anything that was like hanging out with a Jew, for example. But they also noted that lectures of Hitler Youth and the BDM on the need to produce more children produced several illegitimate children which neither the mothers nor the possible fathers regarded as problematic. They didn't mm. care about it. These and other behaviours led to parents complaining that their authority was being undermined. In 1944, a group of parents complained to the court that the leaders of the League were openly telling their daughters to have illegitimate children. 900 of the girls participating in the 1936 Tag in Nuremberg, a Reichsparty, Let's yeah. go to a Reichs party. Let's go to a Reichs party. Ain't no uh, party like party a Reichs day. party. 900 of the girls who participated in that became pregnant. <laughs> sure. And, um, the, and the woman who re- led it was an interesting case, wasn't she? So it was, it was, it was, the first person to read it was uh, this woman called Trude Moore. Yes. Uh, appointed the first Reichsferentin in June 1934. Her main initiative was to nourish a new way of living for the German youth. Our people need a generation of girls which is healthy in body and mind, sure and decisive, proudly and confident going forward. Such girls will then, by necessity, carry the values of national socialism into the next generation as the mental bulwark of our people. Oh, my God. Quite chilling. Anyway, she married in 1937. That was became pregnant and had to quit. Yes, okay. So then we get to who? Jutta Rüdiger. This woman freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. So she's in charge. She is. And she's in charge right through to 1945. She is. Right to, it was and disbanded in, in 1945. She's an unapologetic reasons. Nazi, basically, yeah. who's in charge of brainwashing a whole generation of young yeah. women, right? She never went to prison. No? She was never After charged. After the war, you mean? Yeah, she was never charged with any crime of any yeah. sort. yeah. So she, she, when did she die in the end? It was quite late on, wasn't it? Uh, she's arrested by... Well, she spent two and a half years in detention, uh, 1945. In detention? Not charged with any specific offence. Upon her release, she resumed her career as a paediatric psychologist. That's the bit that blows my mind. If you're a parent and you, you're looking for a child psychologist to help your child with their, with, I assume, problems or yeah. their development of the mental health, which doctor do you go to? Yeah. I know that woman who was in charge of the women's wing of the Hitler Youth.
She was taking a German evening class, know your enemy, but was finding it difficult to decipher anything beyond the occasional violent noun, Luftangriffer, Verluster. In despair at her lack of proficiency, she had turned the wireless off and put Ma Rainey on the gramophone. Before she left for America, Izzy had bequeathed Ursula her collection of records, an impressive archive of female American blues artists. I don't listen to that stuff anymore, Izzy said. It's very passé. The future lies with something a little more soigné. Izzy's Holland Park house was shut up now, everything covered in dust sheets. She had married a famous playwright and they had decamped to California in the summer. Cowards, the pair of them, Sylvie said. So we've made it to Melbury Road, W14. You've brought me to this astoundingly swanky street. It's very swanky, isn't it? With these unbelievably large brick houses of various designs and constructions. So now you can see how rich Izzy was. Izzy's done very well for herself. (laughs) How much is The Adventures of Augustus selling? Yeah, well, I think Hugh may have contributed. I'm still thinking Hugh is massively wealthy. So you've got got Hugh's hidden hidden wealth. It is... It so Izzy lives in one of these here. houses. We don't know which house, but we're standing no. outside one, which is very uh, interesting. Yes. Well, I you promised me an interesting house. It was more interesting than I was expecting. If I'm Good. Honest. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I was a bit sceptical. You, uh, you set the bar quite low in your mind, don't you? Yeah. When I say something like that, it's almost as good as Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly better than Lewis Collins. Yeah. So I'm talking about number eight, Melbury Road. Yeah. Which was the residence of Marcus Stone, a painter. Right. He had it built by the architect Richard Norman Shaw. The reason they built these houses yeah. was they wanted to um, impress patron. And wow. Massive okay. status. But he must have had a fair bit of uh, readies to build that. I mean, it's enormous. It's absolutely enormous. And then the, the one down the road. So that was Luke Field's house. Yeah. who was another painter of yeah. the same era with similar ambitions. I mean, you have to come and look at it yourself. These houses are huge. They are. Four, store, four or five storeys, red brick, massive chimneys, just enormous. Now to get some sense of the com- competitiveness between the two of them is that Luke Fields wrote of his house that it's a long way the most superior house of the whole lot. I consider it knocks stones to fit. <laughs> Though, of course... He wouldn't have that by what I hear he says of his, but my opinion is the universal one. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So it was that competitive. Yeah. Now, the thing that I think got you excited. Yeah, Marcus Stone is, yes, okay. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Yeah. But, there's a blue plaque below his, though. But there's a certain film director who lived there from 1951. So Ursula was still alive in 1951. In one of her timelines, yes. Lived there till 1971. Michael Powell, as uh, in Powell and Preston. Arguably at the height of his powers then? I mean, I think it's just really interesting that Michael Powell lives there because he directed so many films, Peeping Tom, Black Narcissus. He filmed large amounts of Peeping Tom in that house, in that house which, which is really seen, creepy. If you've seen Peeping Tom, it's astoundingly creepy. Mm. But he also made A Matter of Life and Death. Yes, he did. Which is a film about the reincarnation of a fighter pilot in the Second World War. Oh, I see I'm where you're going now. Kate Atkinson must know that. I mean, she's walked around here. She's yes, seen okay. that plaque. Yeah. And she's gone, oh, there's an interesting connection. And, you know, one of the books that's going to come up a couple of times when we're talking about Life After Life is God in Ruins, which is the, the sequel to Life After Life, which Kate Atkinson herself thinks is a superior book. Um, and I think I would agree. I've got it's to read astounding. it. astounding. And it's actually got some very important, I think, some very important things to say about the ending of Life After Life, which... I don't want to spoil for you, so read God in Ruins. It's all about Teddy, God in Ruins. Right. I think she's. Got, I think this has got something. And suddenly it starts to make sense why this is all set round here, because you've got Holland House burning down in the Blitz. You've got the director of A Matter of Life and Death living on the same street as Izzy. You've got Ursula working at the Air Raid Prevent Precautions Department in, in uh, Exhibition Road. So putting her and Millie and all that around Fillmore Gardens and Argyle Road suddenly starts to make a lot more sense to me if that's a kind of vision of look I can see your sort of right novelist's face of like how it all works for you this is my novelist's face my novelist's face involves more tears (laughs) and frustration 
So I thought it was your novelist thinking face. Yeah, so I think it all makes sense as a locale now to me. Good. But also, I mean, we should emphasise, Lizzie's done very well. She's done very well. You know that big Gothic house that we saw on Melbury Road yeah. with the big tower? Yeah. Do you know who lives there? Who lives there now? Yeah. No. Jimmy Page. No. Yes. Really? Jimmy Page lives there. It was quite Jimmy Pagey. It is, yeah, it was a bit. So you've done Ozzy Osbourne and Jimmy Page. That's not bad, is it? It's not bad. That's not bad at all. It's not the best thing about the road, though, that we failed to mention. You know the the second house we talked about, about Luke Fields, the painter, and how he thought his house was much better than Wasn't that the house? Wasn't everybody that the else's. Gothic house? No, it wasn't that one, actually. Right. No. Okay. Uh, funnily enough, we missed it because it was covered in scaffolding because it's right. being done up by somebody else okay. who now owns it. Right. But who bought it off? Michael Winner. Oh. Michael Winner lived in that Luke Melby Fields Road. house. He was very well for off. For quite it? a long time. Yeah. Very long. I think he, his father actually bought it and he inherited it. Okay. So that's the one where he hired a military band to sing, play Happy Birthday to Jenny Seagrove. On well, the Jimmy Page obviously uh, wrote the soundtrack to Death Wish. There you are. They're all on Melby Road. Is Melby Road it's connection. Just so, Jimmy! Jimmy! <laughs> I've got a favour to ask you. Yeah. I can't do it to Michael Winner. He so Winner Winner lives on that road. Yeah. And then do you know who owns it now? No. Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams? Robbie Williams. Lives next to Jimmy Page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's like Stella Street down there. Yeah, but it's... Honestly. Robbie Williams lives next to Jimmy Page. Yeah, but even in that area, there's, they've all got one. Paul McCartney's got a house down there as yeah. well in Holland Park. Very rock. It's rock-tastic. It's quite rock. It's rock, rock royalty. Well, yeah. Robbie Williams. Yeah. I suppose when it was... Izzy's period, it was all bright young things and artists, wasn't it? I'm surprised. Now Robbie, it's rock and roll. I'm surprised filmmakers can afford to live in that that road. So yeah, so Michael Powell and Michael can you Winner. Imagine them, Powell can you and imagine Winner. Them puffing in. What are you working on, Michael? What are you working on at the moment? <laughs> oh, it's Winner again. It's Winner again. Yeah. No, but then Michael Powell goes. You should. He says, um, "What are you doing? You're doing what's it called?" He said, "I'm doing this thing called Peeping Tom." Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds right on Jimmy Street. Yeah. <laughs> Get Jimmy Page on it. Wow. Yeah, well, there you go. So that, uh, Michael Winner and Michael Powell living opposite each other on a st- the same street is just brilliant. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So um, we were going to talk a bit about dating. Now, we, we always try and date the... This we, is we, easy. We t- it's, uh, on one level, it's very easy because she gives all the dates. They start the chapters and, with uh, a date. We're not, we're, we're not I'm not saying ar- she's got them right. We're not going to argue with any of them. Well, we are. Oh, are we? Well, only to say, my usual refrain, she hasn't looked at the moon charts. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> No, I'm just Have saying. you done the moons? Well, I, there's one moment when she's dying in Argyle Street. Yeah. And she says it's a full moon. No, it isn't. <laughs> it just isn't. On any of the occasions that she dies there, it's well, not I've, a full moon. Uh, I question some of her record references, actually. Oh, yeah. So in September 1923, there's a reference to Chanel Number no. 5. That, that launched in 21, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. There's also a reference to London calling at the Duke of York's. Musical Ooh. review that opened on the fifth of September, so that's okay. Okay, but then there's a reference to Ida Cox, the I don't black know who singer, because okay. uh, uh, I think Izzy in particular is a real fan of um, blues yes. records. Ida Cox first recorded anything at all in September 1923. Ah, so I don't see how she can possibly have heard that in London. It would have taken at least a year, and that's a bit of a theme actually. There's a couple of times when you kind of go. Really, would they really have got hold of that in London so so soon after it came out? Um, but not you're not getting an Ida Koch record in London in September 1923. I love the way you say that. Isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. No. It's, just, it's, it's like trying to get a train to go from Beaconsfield to King's Cross. Just isn't going to happen. Isn't going to happen. But other than that, the dates, you know, I wrote down all the dates in the order of the dates. Oh, yes, I did that And too. then I wrote dates where Ursula dies. And they're, you know, 1910, 1914, How many did you get to in total? Oh, I didn't actually total them up. I got to 15. 50, the 15 deaths of Ursula the Todd. Fif- well, I think it's 15 that I could see. Right. Now, a couple of questions for you. So does this work when she dies, she resets, and the next one we read is the next life? Is it that if she dies in 1910, the next life is the one that she gets to 1914, reset, then the next life is the one she gets to 1915? Are they all in order, chronological order? I was going to say. Or not? We don't know, do we? I think the... I think because it makes quite a big difference, doesn't I it? I think you read it like that, don't you? You read it like that, but then you think about it. You think, well, it doesn't have to be like that, does it? Mm-hmm. You could have one where you go, you go all the way to 1930, then you go back, and then you, then you do one where you only get to 1914 or something. Well, it doesn't start with her being born, does it? No, it starts with, it starts an, with her, her killing Hitler. Killing Hitler. Second question. Yeah. Does she kill Hitler more than once? 
Does she kill Hitler at all? Oh, why do you say that? Because well, you never actually see the bullet going in. You just see her she, uh, at the beginning. She dies. My point is that at the beginning, it dates it. As it says November in the first one, at the beginning of the book. November 1930. Yeah, and then at the end, when they, when they redo that scene of her doing it, it says December. Second attempt to kill Hitler. And that's that's on the final, quote-unquote, timeline, right? The yeah. December one. So it must be twice. Yeah. Which means that actually there were 16 deaths, not 15. But if you think about it, December 1930, second attempt to kill Hitler on the final timeline. On the final timeline, there's still a war, right? Yes. So she doesn't kill him? Or, well... If it is, unless if that, if it's war, in order. There's a war without Hitler. So she's saying there would have been a war anyway. Yeah. No, it's, good. it's it's interesting, isn't it? There's all sorts of. I think it, I think if this was a Star Trek episode, oh, no, no, yeah. you you like what I'm going to say? Yeah. I think if this was a Star Trek episode, it would have been endlessly investigated by people on Wikipedia. I think because it's a quite literary novel, yes, written about the Second World War, all the people who normally write about the uh, timelines in time travel episodes on Star Trek haven't really paid enough attention to this. I'm a bit allergic to programs about Hitler and World War II. Oh no, absolutely. I, as soon as I see them, I think. Pfft. That being said, doing a little bit of research for this podcast, the more when you when you go back in and start reading a bit about Hitler, there's always there's always more there's horrible always more. stuff to dig up. Well, the, the one thing we're not going to cover, which we, I would have loved to do, but you know, you know, in Ke- when we were doing Kes, we suggested that we might do foods. In books, yeah. as a, a spin-off, yeah. Hitler's got some really great German cakes going on in this book. He has, Re- which I started to look up. They look absolutely fantastic. I know, I know. So I mean, Hitler's cakes. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a reason be, that uniform. I'd be, I'd be up for that. that. There's a reason that uniform's looking quite tight by the time the war, war mm. kicked off. The Great Nazi Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pitching it to the BBC. <laughs> We can save Europe from total destruction. We have to show the world that not all of us will like him. It is too great a risk. It doesn't change what we must do. What did you have in mind? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a sample of this. Okay. I put that on the table. Do you want to explain to the listener what that huge bang in their ears just was? (laughs) Well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about uh, killing Hitler. Yeah. And I thought, what do I know about killing Hitler? And then I remembered that, oh, I did a special paper, a a part of my history O-level back in the Middle Ages. You had to do a special project. Can I just uh, interject? Yes. Which school was this at? Oh, well, it says, actually, on the dossier, Timothy P. Wright, Gresham's School. And you went to Gresham's? Have I not mentioned that before? Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, I must have done this when I was about 15. I thought, I wonder if I've still got that. And I went up in the attic, and there it was. So it's a brown folder with, what are these clips called? I forgot what they're Yeah, I mean, the thing you liked was those little circular gum reinforcers. uh, uh, Yeah, loose leaf reinforcers. Yeah, I haven't seen those for a while. The white sticky sticky circles of anyone of a certain age. Yeah. I have to say, I was very impressed with my younger self. It looks very smart. It's very... Double underlined headline. The vibe is very much jackdaw folders. Remember if you remember jackdaw Uh, folders? Yes, that's right. But the most important thing about this, I thought, was... I I mean, this is where I thought... I am winning at yeah. history, O-level. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote to this guy who'd written a book who was called Terence Pretty, MBE. He, he then he gave me a load of info about various people who tried to kill Hitler, but he said you could write to Freiherr Axel von den Buscher in Geneva. He would know the, peop- the addresses of other people like Schlabrendorf, Gersdorf, Speidel, and others. This sounded like a Frederick Forsyth story. Well, I was say, it's an entry into the world of uh, ex-military, <laughs> <laughs> German military. Have you heard of the Odessa Age file? 15, <laughs> I was thinking, wow, I've walked through a door here. <laughs> and he says in handwriting at the end, he says, P.S. Buscher is mentioned in my book. He was, is, an incredibly brave man. He volunteered to carry a hand grenade on his person and blow himself up when grabbing hold of Hitler. So he was going to kill Hitler. He was going to kill Hitler. Amazing. So I I wrote to him, age 15, Hello, I'm doing a project on uh, resistance. I gather you tried to kill Hitler. Would you like to tell me about it? Yeah. He wrote me... he did. I've got quite a long letter here. It's a long letter from him in his own handwriting. In very good English, apart from... Obviously, he wanted to explain why did I want to kill Hitler. The German army then, and I believe today, educated its soldiers about the use of weapons when, after boot camp, we were handed our weapon only for decorative, symbolic use. So, And then he puts in German the military code they had to sign up to, which obviously I failed to translate, which is why I didn't get full marks for my project, about the oath that he took. And then he says very seriously, this Timothy may sound legalistic hot air. It is, thinking it through, the only justification to use a weapon individually or collectively in war or peace. When confronted in 1942 autumn in Dubno, Ukraine, with mass execution of approximately 2,000 Jews, this was before the Holocaust gassing, by automatic weapons, some deductions were inevitable. So because he'd witnessed this, he'd witnessed the use of weapons in a way that was not of the military code. Yeah. And that it must have been sanctioned by Hitler. Uh, He says by written or verbally, I believe the latter. That he decided that he would sign up to assassinate Hitler. Now, he was a very good looking man. And his main job was modelling uniforms for Hitler. And the idea was that he would basically put a landmine in his in his jacket pocket, in his coat pocket, and he would detonate it with a hand grenade by setting off the hand grenade by, by putting it in his pocket and just releasing it and, at the appropriate time and then count down for 60 and then grab Hitler as he was inspecting his uniform and blow him up. And himself. Yeah, and himself. Uh, now, the yeah. only reason he didn't do it was that, that the uniforms were destroyed in a bombing raid two days before the modelling thing, yeah. so it got postponed. In the meantime, he was then sent back to fight the Russians. And in the intervening period, he had his leg and one of his hands blown off. So he, Hitler didn't want him as a model anymore. So this is all in the letter it's, that I got. It's, it's, it's lined paper, it's yeah. black ink, 
And it, look, he says things this like, is... incidentally, use my name, right, to my oldest and most trusted personal friend who one year younger than I was later the ADC of the regiment, Dr. Richard von Weissecker. And I've got his address in Bonn. Let him answer some of the more technical questions. Amazing. Now... And you're just, you're just a little privately educated English school numpty, and he's sending you this long letter. Well, uh, for all you know, I was inducted into a secret network of uh, ex, ex-Wehrmacht officers, yeah. and I've never told you about it. No, no, no. Well, you'd be a surprising candidate, frankly. Do you know what absolutely boiled me about this whole thing when I found it? Yeah. One, first thing this guy, Axel von den Buscher, says, he says, sorry for my bad handwriting, no thumb. Right. That's at the top of the letter above the written, above his a address. Beautifully written. Sorry for the bad handwriting. No thumb. No thumb. Now, when I go to the front of the book okay. of my dossier, yeah. I get my marks from my two history teachers. Right. The main one gave me sixteen out of twenty, which I think is a bit tight. I agree. It's Very a seriously thorough impressive on quite a demanding subject. He says, particularly, you know, he says, well written, notably well written. Says. What about what about the uh, original the other, research? Not even mentioned. I don't even bloody read this thing because the other guy, the other guy who I didn't like and he didn't like me, he marked me down anyway. He gave you you fourteen. He He gave you fourteen. Yeah, but he says he said the the project on the whole is a thorough study, but it could have done with better handwriting. Oh, sorry, no thumb. Sorry, no thumb. That's, and also, yeah. he writes it in the world's worst handwriting. That's quality pedagogy I'm right there, I'm marking down his comments for his bad That's handwriting. That's quality pedagogy right there. Unbelievable. Do you know, I can't, it's amazing how angry I can get after more than four decades. I don't blame you. I think it's outrageous. I want to kill this man. <laughs> I don't want to kill Hitler. I want to kill this man. He's, I wonder if he's still with us. No, he's not. I know he isn't. Uh. I know he isn't. It had been lovely spending time with Jimmy. Jimmy was dashing in his battle dress and gained an entrance wherever they went. Risqué venues in Dean Street and Archer Street. The Boeuf sur le Trois in Orange Street that was very risqué indeed, if not downright risky. Places that made Ursula wonder about Jimmy. Or in the pursuit of the human condition, he said. Very good. (laughs) We're standing in a car park. I take you to all the nicest places. Lovely. It's a Leicester Square car park. Is that what it is? And we're standing on the location of the... uh, That would have been... The Boeuf sur la Toite. Yeah, which was 11 Orange Street. So we're at 11 Orange Street. Yeah. Uh, So it's not here anymore. It's it's definitely much not here anymore. It's parked cars. um, It's nicely documented in a a website called Elisa Roll, R-O-L-L-E dot com. LisaRoll.com about historic venues for gay culture in London. Right. It was run by a woman called Dolly Meyer. She'd run clubs before with Muriel Belcher, who some people out there might have heard of Muriel Belcher. Do you know who she is? No. Well, she ran the uh, Colony Room nightclub. Right. And you know about the Colony Room. I do, yes. Uh, famous mainly for Francis Bacon hanging out there all the time. Yeah. But lots of other quite serious arty winos. Yeah. Muriel and Dolly fell out. And so Dolly started running her own club right here in the car park. The most luxurious and fashionable gay club in yeah. wartime London. Also known in the 1930s as Molly's. And obviously pretty much every famous gay person of yeah. a posh extraction yeah. in London turned up at this club during the war or yes. in the 30s and during the war so can you feel it can you feel I can the... feel it I tell you what's also missing is the stairs yeah tell me about the stairs <laughs> no, you tell me about the stairs they obviously had a bit of a problem with the stairs they did have a bit of a problem so with a base, the stairs so it's a basement bar I found two different altercations on the, how many have you found only one I think people fell down the stairs quite a lot here yeah. or were pushed it seems yes so this, was a th- this was a theme and the, the intriguing thing about the one I'm talking about is who did the pushing 
Oh, okay. So, in fact, the owner herself, Dolly Meyer, yeah. it's alleged that she was pushed down the stairs. She ended up being pushed down the stairs, possibly an argument over her bisexual liaisons by husband Alf. Right. Wow. So who's, who's, your, who's yours? Guy Burgess. Guy Burgess. Guy Burgess was shoved down the stairs at the club. Who Allegedly got? by Brendan Byrne. Or Bean. You see, I'm so glad you said it because I thought, I don't know how to pronounce that, but the guy who really won't know how to pronounce that will be you. (laughs) Yeah, but allegedly by Brendan Behan. Pushed down the stairs. Pushed him down the stairs. Guy Burgess. Yeah. Who's Guy Burgess? Uh, Who's Guy Burgess? Hmm. Guy Burgess is uh, Burgess Philby and McLean, right? He's one of the... uh, Burgess Philby and and McLean. Guy Burgess is the one who is in Alan Bennett's play, isn't he? He's a terrible drinker. Terrible drinker. Sounds like a really unpleasant guy. I uh, think I would have pushed him down the stairs. Yeah, but also wouldn't he, he would shag anything that moved, wouldn't he? I mean, he was. I think uh, he was just a liability, yeah. terrible liability. Yeah. Went to Eton. Hashtag just saying. But he was, he was considered to be more adept than McLean because when they came to sort out the fact that they needed to flee the nest. Yeah. The reason why Burgess left at the same time as McLean because he felt that McLean didn't have the bottle to do it properly and he needed somebody with him. Oh, really? So Burgess went with and they wanted to get Burgess out of the way anyway. Uh, okay. Burgess was living in Moscow right up until the 80s, right? Well, so was McLean. Yeah. Well, in fact, McLean, really interestingly, he had, he had his wife and children came and joined him in Moscow a year after he defected. Oh, wow. And then she started having an affair with Kim Philby. They're all quite flaky, aren't they? They are quite flaky. They're all quite flaky. The thing I'm surprised at is that why would you say that McLean was incapable of doing something on his own when he'd been to such a great school? Yeah. Where he'd be taught self-reliance. Yeah, allegedly. And, and uh, how to cope with the modern world and be yeah. a, a, a fully formed and be prime minister. Uh, individual. What school would that be? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> See, we were talking about Eton. I've turned my back on him now. We were talking about Eton... So we've gone the Boeuf sur la Toit, Stairs. I've fallen right into your trap here. You I? have. Stairs, Guy Burgess. That's why you were so keen for me to bring up Guy Burgess. Did Donald McLean go to Grisham's by any chance? Do you know what? He did. Okay. <laughs> Happy days. Happy we've got, days. We've got Grisham's in again. Bingo! Bingo. <laughs> House. <laughs> so we, uh, we come to quite a challenging moment, I think, in this book in, in terms of the Q-spec rating. Yes. We give two scores. We give one for artistic merit, which I always think is hilarious. And we give another one on how seriously the author is taking dates and locations locations. in their books. Yes. And generally speaking, they're necessarily accurate. It's nice if they're accurate, that's good. Yeah. But it's more about their attitude. Their attitude. And also, if they take us on, if they do take us on a good route, if we come out of it with a good walk, a good adventure. Yeah. Then they get a, they, they get additional points. Um, I would like to frame this conversation in terms of the book's quality. So let's do that one first. Okay, the artistic merit one. Go on, because then. I think um, I think this is a really great book. I mean, the first time I read it, I thought this is this is going straight into my list of top ten novels. I love it so much. Hmm. Second time I read it, I guess not quite so much. I kind of I began exactly to see the, the same. Began to see the joins a little bit, mm. but then I kind of went back round again and then came back out the other side, which is to say. As an exercise in maintaining a narrative through this extraordinarily complicated set of situations and not losing the reader through it, mm. I think it's incredible. So I think I would give it a high score for that. I'd probably give it an eight. Wow. I would say. Okay. Okay. As I said to you, I heartily agree. Is that the first time I read it, I was blown away by it. And I went around recommending it to people, saying, yeah. You must read this book, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and then I reread it and thought, oh, I've told all those people to read this book. <laughs> and it's not as good as... I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to look a bit of a tit. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give it a seven. Okay. Because I didn't bounce back. I love the structure. I think, it, and as you say, to hold our attention on... Once you've got the gag, you think, oh, halfway through, you're thinking, where are you going to go with this now? Now that I, I understand well. the structure of this. But yeah. she, it was constantly surprising and inventive. And there are some very emotional moments in it where you're thinking, wow, that's... That is really something. The Berlin scene in 45 is, is chilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the characters are great. Her, the portrait of her parents is terrific. She's a fantastic character. They both are. The mother yeah. is. Sylvie's really fantastic. Good. Really real sort of person. Yeah. And interesting and multifaceted. I thought it was all really... So on the, that score is good. I'm nearly talking myself into a yeah, I'm going to stay <laughs> at seven. So on the Q-spec. On the Q-spec rating, I mean, I'm going to give her a bit of a telling off here. Me the too. train stuff is... Look. I'd, you always say, I don't think she's interested. I don't think she's interested. I don't think she finds... She doesn't care. The, the, she doesn't care. She doesn't really care. So, And also, 
does it provide them? I think we found a good walk. I think we brought a lot to the table. But I think we brought a lot to the table. Yeah. It's so, just sometimes it's a bit like that. It was a bit like that with The Woman in Black, wasn't it? Yeah. Another writer who is clearly just making things up. Yeah. And then we have to bring our Q-spec brains to sort of try and find you, listener, yeah. a landscape through which you can a real landscape through which you can travel with and this I book. And I think she's I think she's, she's told us she's not interested. Yes. So you don't get extra points for saying you're not interested. No, no she's not interested. You might even get a minus point for that. So being I'm militantly uh, against us. I think I'm going to give her a a 4. Yes. Yes. I don't think I can go higher than 4. No. I'm with you. I'm uh, 4 I was almost going to go 3 because I just yeah. In fact, I'm going 3. <laughs> I'm going 3 because I'm I'm now I'm getting quite angry. <laughs> I'm even, I'll tell you why I'm going to give a three, because I bet... She's got bad handwriting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bet the original, if we went to the original manuscript, I'd be able to say to her, yes, pretty thorough study, could have done with better synthesis, better handwriting. They were at a table in the corner of a pub on Glasshouse Street. They'd been dropped in Piccadilly by the American Army sergeant who'd given them a lift when he saw them hitchhiking at the side of the road outside Dover. They had crushed themselves onto an American troop transport ship at Le Havre instead of waiting two days for a flight. It was possible that technically they were AWOL, but neither of them gave a damn. This was their third pub since Piccadilly, and they were both agreed that the two of them were very drunk but had the capacity to get a good deal drunker yet. Hooray! It was a Saturday night, and the place was packed. This is in May 1945. May 1945. And we're with Teddy and Vic, his mate. They've made it back to Blighty. They've made it back to Blighty. And they're in a pub on Glasshouse Street. The only one that that can be is the Glassblowers. Which is where we are now. Three uh, pubs from Piccadilly. Interesting. Three pubs since Piccadilly. If I had to pick three pumps between here I'm and I'm going to take a sip of my low-alcohol lager now because yeah, I'm like... I'm, I'm on the same. I'm on it. I'm like Teddy and Vic. We are not drunk. Almost and we do not have the capacity to get a good deal drunk. Yeah. Cheers, anyway. I, I remember the good old days where we ended every podcast in a pub. Yeah, but... And that um, was a kind of a rule that we were going to do that. And then we got all sensible Well, we've got, we we're that. doing too many of these things. There's always another podcast to record. So it's nice to come Those back to... Those are the to days where we did one every three months. It's nice to come back to an old routine... So we came here, this very pub. We did. For a previous podcast. Yes. John Wyndham's The Day of the Triffids. Yes. So when Teddy's in here, he's going to be in here with John Wyndham. Yeah. The Goons. The Goons, yes, indeed. And if and listener, if you've been listening hard to uh, the Kez Orchestral for an A podcast, yeah. you also know that Harry Worth would have been in here Harry with his w- ventriloquist dummies. He was. So it would have been quite a scene. Quite a scene. Quite a scene. <laughs> Teddy's here to meet Ursula. Yes. This is towards the very end of the book. The ending gets, I would say, gets more and more ambiguous about what's actually happened. Well, you're at an advantage in that you've read the, the I've next read book. the sequel, The mm. God in Ruins. And I actually think you can't really unpick what's happened in um, Life After Life until you read God in Ruins. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to give a clue as to what I mean by no. that. But what he does do is, Teddy, he says he mouths at her across the room to Ursula. He mouths, thank you. Yes, and he shouted he? something to her across the pub, but his words were lost in the hubbub. She thought it was thank you, but she might have been wrong. Ah, so it's ambiguous anyway. And then we're back. So he might have been saying, wanga. And, <laughs> and then we're back to 11th of February 1910. But they're definitely in here, right? Oh, I, I think that's clear. This is becoming a curiously specific hub. A nexus. You're going to tell me I'm wrong about this because you've read the second book. But what I did like about this was that while all the way through the book you think this has all been about what killing Hitler, that that's the, the, main, right. the main mission is right. to kill Hitler and yeah. then the world will be a better place. Yeah. But actually it's saving Teddy yeah. is what will make love And if she has to save happen. Teddy, she didn't kill Hitler. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So then, But then I think that's the... 
and that's a rather good I like that message I like, th- I yeah. like it it's I don't, bit, I don't, want, I don't want to give away what happens in God in Ruins no um, and I think this book uh, ends ambiguously yeah okay um, you know is, it, is, is, she, is she still on the treadmill at the end or is, 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 is she yeah. reached peace but if you felt your life mission was to sort of save someone you love rather than kill someone you hate yeah that's not a bad message is it We've got to find other books that end up in the glass blowers. Actually, for all those people who are Patreon subscribers, the ones who are real aficionados, especially the people who pay five quid to be our community member, come on, find us another book that ends in the the glass glass blowers. Or preferably three. We could do a trilogy. Yeah. Um, That's a challenge of your knowledge of books. Find us another one that ends in a pub in Soho, preferably on Glasshouse Street. Near Piccadilly, yeah. Anyway, we've got to say our quick thank yous. I always want to say thank you to Learning Music on the Free Music Archive for the use of our signature tune, or our bassy loop, as we call it. Yeah. Talking of music, I'd like to thank Vaughan Williams. <laughs> Ralph Vaughan Williams? Ralph Vaughan Williams. Uh, I felt he was spot on for Life After Life because he's, he's composing pretty much throughout the period of the book. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like there's a Vaughan Williams... I know, I know, I know that Kate Ackerton would want a Leonard Cohen soundtrack. <laughs> but it, even though he didn't, he wasn't around in the 1910. The date is wrong. Yeah, he can't really do he it. He probably was I around. Imagine that, you know, imagine she's listening to Leonard Cohen while tapping away on a typewriter with no charts. Yeah. Right? Or notes. You know, or no, yeah, anything. Just straight, straight, yeah. straight, straight, straight through head. the fingertips. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Right? But I'm saying Vaughan Williams. And I got most of that off the Internet Archive listener. Uh, so I haven't ripped off any publishers. This is all stuff that's free to download from the Internet Archive. Yeah, Join us next time where we are embarking on a road trip. Tim's very excited. Yeah. And we've got a better car than the, the, the protagonist. Yeah. We He's have, got a crappy old Ford. Yeah, we've got a Mitsubishi plug-in hybrid. Man, oh, man. With we a smelly cr- dog in the back. Smelly dog in the back. And we went across about, I, I counted about 12 counties. In the yeah, end. yeah. There is going to be mention of the local government. It's age. a big old trip. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 